Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Think About It with me, Victoria Azarenka. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to my new friend, Sasha DeJulian. Sasha is a fellow athlete and professional rock climber. In this episode, we share what it takes to overcome fear and challenges, both mentally and physically, on a daily basis from two completely different sports. It was great to connect with a like-minded female athlete, and I know you all will take something away from this chat. Sasha, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on your show, Vika. I am so excited to chat with you. I've been learning a lot about you before this talk, but I'm super excited to learn even more and go deeper into conversation and kind of see, you know, a different perspective from your world, your culture, a little bit of your field. So I will just start with where, where did you grow up? How did, how did everything started for you in uh, rock climbing? Because I learned that you started at your brother's birthday party. To me, it, it always feels like there's some kind of a connection to a family member where you start something. For, for me, it was my mom started working in the tennis center. Nobody in my family actually knew anything about tennis. So she was my introduction. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love that side note about how you got into tennis. Um, I did, in fact, start climbing after my brother's birthday party. It was in 1998. So I was about six years old. And my brother had a birthday party for lots of different um, guys in his grade, he was 14 months older than me. So, um, as the sister, I got to come and I just remember like really loving the fact that if I wanted to get up the wall, it was up to me. Um, there wasn't really like anyone else that I needed to depend on. And the employee working the birthday party told my mom hey, your daughter's really great. She should consider coming back and joining our junior team program. And I, I'm sure that that employee told like every single one of the parents, like, hey, your kid's great. Um, but it stuck with me. So like I came back and I joined what was called their junior team, which I really enjoyed because it was at school. I mean, climbing was such a fringe sport that like no one really knew what it was. Like tennis is so known. Whereas if I say I'm a professional climber, I think that to a lot of people is like, what is that? And then one Saturday morning, about a year later, I walked into the gym and they were hosting a youth regional championship. And that was my first intro point into like the world of competition climbing, which like you said, like my family had nothing to do with climbing. Your mom was your entry point to tennis, which I think is really cool because it's almost like you need that introduction. Um, but then in climbing, like climbing gyms are so accessible that even if your family isn't very aware of what the sport is, you can still kind of join at that very beginner level and, and figure it out yourself. Do you remember that moment when you started? Like it was kind of yesterday or it feels like it was really long time ago? 
You know, it's interesting. I, I always have journaled and like journaled about my different expeditions and I still have like that initial illustration of like from the birthday party. And it's kind of funny because it's like chicken scratch and like written as a six-year-old. Um, but I drew like all the little kids at the party and then me on the rock wall. And I think there's parts that I really remember. Like I remember going up the wall and being really proud that I was better than my brother because we were super competitive growing up. Um, do you have siblings? I do have a brother, yes, older brother. Were you guys really competitive growing up? I wouldn't say we were that competitive with the, with each other because tennis was, I feel like it's been my destiny because there were so many things that had to align for me to be a tennis player, you know, from the country where tennis is not known, is not popular, it's not on TV. Um, but I felt that when I was young, I was already dreaming of playing in the big tournaments and I don't know where it was coming from. I can't really explain it. But my brother, he was more like, you know, it's, it's for fun. For me, it was fun, but I felt like it was always a little bit bigger. When I started, we started in a little gym, which is actually funny because this same gym still exists. And every time I go back to Belarus, I know exactly that wall where I started to play. It feels a lot smaller than it was <laughs> when it was before. Yeah, I, I totally hear that. <laughs> I had 40 kids in the class and you basically have opportunity to hit one ball or to do an exercise and then you have to wait. And if you miss, you know, you go in the back of the line. So that was right away the competition. We played a lot of, you know, relays and stuff. So the competition started for me right away and it was pushing me to, to be better in that group. In a way, like a survival mode, you know, like if you want to play, yeah. you know, it, it was kind of, um, kind of a survival thing. How was it for your parents? How did they, did they support your, your choice? Because, and, and when, when was it for you that you knew, okay, I'm I want to take it a little bit more serious. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is like a, a point that you said that I so firmly believe in too, and that's, you have to be passionate in order to succeed. And that's like the number one parameter that I've always seen with climbing is like, if I'm having fun, then I'm doing something right. Um, but I mean, then I'm pursuing what's right for me to be pursuing. Um, but when I went to that first competition, so I was about seven years old, I won my category, which was 11 and under. I was about seven at the time. That was a turning point because I realized that there was a competitive realm to the sport. What I do remember really vividly was like, Climbing was what I enjoyed the most. And what, how my parents really got behind me in supporting was like my mom would drive me to all of these different um, climbing gym competitions across like the US. And she would even like come in and belay me at team practice on like the days as I got like more serious about um, you know, everything kind of like got more intense as I guess my participation got got more involved. Um, so the hours became more demanding. And what my parents did that I'm really thankful for was like, they always encouraged me to follow what I really enjoyed. What they did instill in me was like a work ethic of if you're going to commit to this, challenge yourself and like, go to your practice and work hard. And, and that was kind of like the same with school It's like, we're sending you to this school, like you need to do well. And so I think that 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 minimal amount of pressure was helpful because it was like 
and a sense of accountability as a kid. Like if you're pressured too much to do something, at least for me, like that's when I kind of revolt and I'm like, I'm not into it. Were, were your parents kind of um, really fanatic when you were getting into tennis or were they um, more like, oh, okay, do your thing? My dad was, and my dad still is, as long as I'm happy, that's all that matters. There's nothing else kind of matters. Tennis, no tennis. It, 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 never, it never was about that. He was, and he never actually went to my matches. He went with, to one of my tournaments at, I think I was like maybe 10 or 11 and he couldn't sleep the whole night. So I said, you know what, that's it. Like you're not coming again. Cause I don't want you to like, you know, taking so much like nerves and so much worries about. So he never really came until I was about 20, 21. He, he okay. went after for, for a first tournament. And my mom has been like a kind of a, a front frontline, you know, um, person for me, all she could do is, you know, ask questions, make some suggestions, uh, give me opportunities, which I didn't really have many. What I can relate to is what my parents never pushed me to the point that is like, you have to do this, you have to succeed and you have to, you know, uh, whatever, because I feel there's a lot of times, um, with parents, they pressure kids so much because of their own dreams that they haven't accomplished. So they're trying to relieve that dream through their kids. And at some point that fun for a child doing anything kind of like melts away. My mom's in particular, she pushed me, you know, definitely to understand how I can work hard. She always pushed me to make sure I finished the school I go to the university after, so it was very, very intense pushing in that way. She's like, if you want to do this, you know, you have, you have to go to practice from two to six. That's where you have, where you, where you don't have school. That's your time. If you want to do it, you have to commit. At the same time, I also felt a lot of pressure because from where, where I come from, we really didn't have anything. So to me, it was also an opportunity to become someone you know to be financially independent so i felt that pressure of kind of taking care of my family after and i've seen that with other kids that their dream and their objection was to you know become rich or like to make money through through sport and come out of you know your certain situation but to me even though that was a reality in a way it never was a drive. You know, my motivation was, I want to be the best. I want to train. I want to do because I want to be the best. I want to win tournaments. The rest will, will kind of go into place. So what was for you, like, the, the motivation behind achieving the bigger things? Because from what I've seen on your videos, what I've read, you are very, very competitive. Well, what's, what's your motivation when it's maybe underlining motivation. Yeah, no, I, I just around that, that point out, like my dad who um, passed away a few years ago, always said to me three things before I went on any trip. And it was have fun, be safe and do your best. And it's funny that you mentioned like your mom on the front line and your dad being too nervous to go to things like that was like the exact same case with my parents, actually, as I was starting out, like, I never really had that drive to make a living from it because that just wasn't really the case 
in professional climbing back in the day. Like it was like what it meant to be a professional climber was like you live out of your van and you scrape by, but you maximize the time you spent outside. And, and that industry has really been changing as the sport has been more commercialized. It's grown. Climbing gyms are opening, but, um, it was just all kind of like this process of like pursuing what I really enjoyed doing. And I think like you noted, I mean, like that competitive edge, I think it's within all of us, like whether you're a female entrepreneur or like a female athlete, um, that drive to be the best version of yourself is really important. Um, and with climbing, like women and men are so capable to achieve similar and like women can outperform men in some regards too. And it's like, I've just always wanted to, I guess, like prove myself to myself. And, and in a way, like you mentioned, like tennis was that, that almost like golden ticket, but you try not to think about it. I think that with climbing, like I just wanted to almost like legitimize what I really love doing too, to my parents and like show I can succeed in following my passion and I can make a living from it and I'm going to find out a, a way how to. Climbing's a lot about like endorsement deals and um, it's an individual sport. So in some ways you build your own schedule even like with the competition format, which I retired from competition like a few years ago and now I just focus on free climbing outside and like bigger expeditions you kind of like have to like figure out your goal and your motivation yourself. And, and I would say that motivation comes from like that feeling that I have of like when I'm really climbing well, and like when I'm really um, in my element and in that flow state, it's like the best feeling in the world. It's like, I feel so weightless and free and like open to experiencing like just like what's around me that and when I'm training, I really love the point that you said, like, you don't always want to go training. Cause I think that that was a big switch to flip to in my mind was like, yes, I love climbing, but like, I don't always love training. And I think it's more of like, in, as an athlete, like it's the will to train. Like you've had a long day, you're trying to balance like these other aspects of life that are really time consuming and you haven't trained yet and it's nighttime. So like, what will you do? And I feel like the the athlete who succeeds is the one who's like I'm gonna fit it in anyways I'm gonna make time and I'm gonna do my training because like that's my will to succeed what do you think when you climb when I'm in the zone it's to me it feels like everything is kind of in slow motion you know everything moves in slow motion there is not necessarily words it's just like to me, like I start to feel music. That that's how how I feel in the zone. So I can't really think, oh, I have a particular thought or something. But what does it feel to you like when you are in that in that flow state? For me, is I'm on the tennis court. You know, I'm watching the ball and I kind of block out. I don't see the crowd. It doesn't like the crowd doesn't exist to me. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
but you were hanging off the cliff. So <laughs> oh, I love that aspect that you said that breaks down to like a slow motion music because I can so relate to that. I think that when I'm in that flow state, like the only thing I'm thinking about is the textures that I feel and the next movement in front of me. And it's like, it's almost like this methodical, like right foot move, left foot adjust. Like I'm thinking of the exact same things that my body's doing, but it's not my mind telling my body to do that thing. It's like the two of them are working within unison and, and there's almost like this mind body connection that I don't, I just know what to do. It's like my mind doesn't have to um, reiterate it in any way, but paradox, right? Like, yeah, yeah. thinking actually, I don't think I'm thinking in that moment. I just, I just do. So that's, that's, that's how it feels to me to describe something because when somebody asks you in the interviews, what were you thinking in that moment? Yeah. You're like, I don't really remember. No, and you can't say nothing (laughs) because there is no such thing when you just sit there and you think of nothing. Like it, it just. Yeah. <laughs> you ever like have those moments when you're on the tennis court? Cause I have this when I'm climbing and like, maybe it's when I'm not in the flow state where like I'm thinking too much or I'm thinking about like falling or what if I like slip or like these negative thoughts. And that's like when it kind of like intervenes in my brain and I'm like, no, go away. Like, do you ever have those moments on the court where you're like, too aware of everything else i will not believe anybody who will say that they don't they don't experience that they don't have doubt that they're not you know afraid of of something um i just i just feel like you just won't be a true statement and my mind can go sometimes to different places and i'm like okay can you just come back you know you're here you're you're playing you have to you have to get yourself together and it can be negative and it can be just the most random stuff like i can start singing yeah. a song in my head and on but in part of negative yeah you think like sometimes like okay um i feel like i'm gonna just double fold now and then it yeah. happens and you're telling yourself like, you know what, you, I knew it. I knew that you were going to double fold yourself. So you kind of bring yourself more down. And then Yeah, your mind just keeps going in the spiral. If you, yeah, if you don't believe that you have to get out of it, you have to like just, you know, tell yourself otherwise to the point that you're going to believe more positive because the negative is just going to take you down more and more. And sometimes... I'm successful. Sometimes I'm not successful and frustration takes over. And um, that's just, that's just what happens. But I think the more you train, the more you're aware. And I feel like the sometimes what makes a difference between someone who's doing, you know, a good job in, in sports, for example, or a great job is really how much you can push yourself through that, you know, fearful, difficult moment is not about that much about your skill of course it is part of that but it's really about going into that mode where you're scared but it's not going to stop you to go and still experience mm-hmm. that do, do you ever feel scared because i hear about myself what about you're being fearless you know you're fearless and it's really far from the truth. I fear going on the court. I fear to lose sometimes. I fear, I fear a lot of things. What makes me fearless is that 
my fear is not going to stop me from going and still doing those things. Actually, one of the people who are working on the show, um, we were talking about this question. He asked me, like, Vika, don't kind of compare what Sasha does to, to, your, to yours, that your, what you do is not really scary or not important because for somebody to go in front of 25,000 people and play tennis can be scary. But I said, you know what? Like, I understand what you're trying, what you want me to get, but I can't understand. That's not scary to me as much as going on the, on the mountain. So for me, your fear is much more significant than my fear. So this is really but, kind of a hard question I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the difference though, is like we all build up our own tolerances for what we fear and what we're not fearful of based on our own experiences. And I can't, I can't imagine being in your shoes. To me, that sounds way scarier than what I do to me because I don't have that, that experience of like expanding beyond the comfort zones of experience and like stepping out into that uncomfortable feeling and, and getting used to it. And I feel like what you're describing um, of when you like feel fear and you don't know what to do with it and like that difference of like that breaking point of whether you perform or you don't, I kind of often refer to it on the wall as paralysis analysis. And that's like, if I'm climbing and I start like the fear starts overriding my system and I'm like, I can't fall here. I'll break my leg if I fall here. Like start imagining the consequences of what happens if like something bad happens. And then it can almost like lead to this moment where you can't act and you can't move because you're too stunned by the like negative. And what I always try and channel my mind back to is like, thinking in the moment and like thinking about my next move in a positive, like advantageous way of like, this is what I need to do to get out of this situation. This is what I need to do to succeed in this moment. And it's almost like this mind dialogue that happens in like these split seconds of action that you're like, almost like, like putting, like quieting that motion in your head that is the fear arising and like replacing it with something else that you can like kind of categorize and move off of. But the notion of like, you know, fear is that I am always experiencing fear. Like, I think that that's like a human thing that like you said, like I wouldn't believe a climber if they said they're never scared. Like, and I think that denying it isn't actually a really healthy thing either. Cause like I'll have, I think on, on expeditions too, especially like there's a lot of kind of risk mitigation that's involved with what's real fear and what's irrational fear. And then how do you kind of categorize these feelings and act in a safe way, but also in a way that you can still succeed. And so irrational fear may be an example would be like, I'm climbing with a rope and I'm above my protection point. And I'm scared to fall because I think that it's going to be like, I'm going to slam into the wall or like, you know, it's like scary to just like let go. And I feel exposure because I'm looking down at like thousands of feet below me. And so I feel really exposed and, and nervous. And, and then I think that the irrational part of it is like, if I fall, I'm totally fine. I'm like in a harness. 
I'll be caught by the rope. Um, the consequence is really minimal. And then the rational fear would be, I guess, like if I was in that same situation, but I had a really big ledge below me or something. And, and if I fell, there were legitimate consequences. So I think that that would be like rational versus the irrational. I'm sure I'd like stepping on the tennis court. Cause like there's not fatality at risk per se, but there's embarrassment or there's lots of the tournament or like there's all these other consequences that are real. And like everything we feel, I think is real. It's just like, how consequential are they and how can we like mitigate that? I feel like it's very interesting, interesting point. And what is more challenging to go through rational fear or irrational fear? Like what is tougher to, to kind of uh, go over? In climbing, I have like lost friends and, and there've been accidents that are really tragic that don't really have any reason that you can say like, this is what that person did wrong. And, and so that's when the rational and irrational fear really come to life is like, I thought this was an irrational fear, but there's real consequences to it. Um, and so that can be hard. Like this last um, March, I was on an expedition and one of my teammates had a totally tragic accident where like he was climbing and the rock broke that he was standing on and it cut his rope and he fell 1500 feet. And like, that was terrain that I signed up for. That was like terrain that I was like, this is what I'm going to be doing. And so I think that like in processing that it was really hard and it has been hard. I'm injured now, but like, as I went back out climbing, everything that I held on to, like the rock, it felt like in my mind, like this is going to break and fall and cut my rope and I'm going to fall. And then like, that's going to be it. And it's hard to like kind of sort through it because like on one hand it's real. And then on the other hand, it's what I love to do. It's like what makes me feel the most alive. Um, but then, you know, you want to stay alive. I know you recently just had a hip surgery. Yeah. Was it two surgeries? I saw something on your yeah. Instagram, right? I still have two more to go. Oh, wow. On the other hip. It'll be in August. Okay. Is that something that adds up uh, to uncertain times for you? You know, like how, how am I going to recover from this? Because injuries is just part of being an athlete and it happens to everybody. For myself, it's always, I go through kind of stages, you know, it's, you're really sad, you're lazy, you don't really know what, what to do. Like, why am I doing it for? Am I, especially with, after you reach a certain success, you know, you're like, do I need, do I really need to do that? Do I need to, to, mm -hmm. keep, to keep pushing myself? There are stages where you suppress, suppress it. There's stages where you work through it. And there are stages after where you just, you know what? I just have to let it go and go for it. What I've been learning, even I think that part of through like this stillness of being injured is like recognize the emotions that we all feel. Um, and something that I, I think is really important that you pointed out is like there's so much commonality across our feelings and like what we go through even if it's through different experiences and like I really appreciate I mean hearing from you from like what you feel because I'm like I relate so much and and I think that with injury right now um my hip injury it's it feels good to have an answer um I felt a lot of pain over the last like 
three years in my hip and over the last like year it's gotten worse and worse and I thought that I had um, a torn labrum in my hips or something like that and so I didn't really treat it immediately because I was like well you can do physical therapy maybe and get through it or mitigate the pain Um, and then I was going on that expedition in Mexico so I went in to the doctor's office and it was like can I get a cortisone shot because like I just want to mask this pain that like I some nights just like can't sleep because it hurts so much. Um, and that was kind of when all this information unfolded about what I have was hip dysplasia. And so I have it in both my hips and it kind of shredded through the surrounding connective tissues and labrums um, so that it was degenerating the cartilage that kind of protected like my pelvic bone to my hip, um, my femur head. And so the first surgery, I guess, was like, shaving down the femur head and sewing together the labrums. And then the second was making um, some fractures to the pelvic bone to then like readjust the, the way that the, the femur fits in the socket. And I've never actually taken off more than like three to six weeks from climbing in the last like 21 years. And so I'm trying to just like see this space as this permission to um, be, be more still and like cut out the travel and, and start fine tuning a little bit more of like who I am outside of climbing. And it's kind of like this new challenge. Cause right now I'm like, okay, in like two weeks I can walk again. And that's like what I'm like really excited about, or like maybe it's three weeks you've gone through injury. I'm sure. The longest term injury I had was about Four months, four months I, was, I wasn't playing. I had to wear a boot. I had a neuroma on my foot. And then that kind of that kind of went away, but caused another uh, sort of problem, which I've been dealing with for the next like year, but you know, pl- still playing and kind of going through, through the motions until I finally got, got rid of it. But what I had like was a little different, not an injury, but I had my personal situation where it forced me to be out, you know, for... 10 months I couldn't travel at all. I didn't know if I'm ever gonna play because I had a, quite a hard choice in front of me um, to make either I play or I choose my family. So at that time, it's, it, was, it was what you said, it's really hard to see what is the goal in like, what is the big goal, right? And what was difficult for me is to understand that long goal because it was so uncertain for me that I couldn't even really build that goal in 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 my kind of in my head so i had to build the little ones i think the most challenging part was like okay sometimes i feel like you know what I'm, i've done a great job i've done a great week like it's, it's got to go up from here it's got to go up from here and then it goes down and you're like have i progressed at all have i really progressed at all or am i just you know feel a little better and then i take two steps back so i think the what you said is really about trying to see how recognize the little steps that you do because in my injury for example and something i also want to ask you sometimes people ask you what is your biggest you know victory in your or for you what's your biggest climb and sometimes i feel like the biggest necessarily victories are not the most grand you know achievements it's like this little step that you've taken toward toward that. I, I think that the way that I kind of look at 
COVID, when when you when you step away from the devastation of, of people losing in their lives and that severity of it, I think that it does provide this break for the world and for us to really center ourselves and like I'm sure that I mean I know that you travel a lot as well and and this period of time has been like the most I've been in one place like over the last 10 years of my life and I've felt so grateful for that just like being grounded being around the ones that I love and like being able to recenter my focus and and like that's kind of been exponentiated I guess by like being injured and being so still and not really able to move. But I I think that this time to actually be able to like reflect and think about what's directly in front of us, you can't run from your problems. You have to kind of like figure them out. It's a good reminder. I think what I've seen this as is like, let's all be still more often. I've also learned uh, that you are very passionate about uh, women in sports. Something that um, I'm also very passionate about is to bring awareness to to the world that everybody deserves of an equal opportunity. What are your passions? What are the things that that taught you how to be a female athlete in very very male dominant sport? You know, climbing's been a pretty progressive sport in the way that we do have equal pay in competition earnings. For women and men and it is based off of um endorsement deals so in a way like women can be earning just as much if not more than men it, it really depends on your marketing and the partners that you have but what i really want to see more of is more attention to women's sports and, and more media platforms that are supporting women in sports so one of the things that i did was i started this production company called female focused adventures and my goal with that is to really capture and enable women content creators, but also to focus on women doing really awesome things in the adventure space. Like that's my goal with the company. Um, but that's kind of like my my long-term really hope is to empower more women through this example of like showing and empowering women to take the lead on different roles. Um, but, but another thing is like, I've been really inspired by women like that, that is what sticks to me more so than when I see men do really amazing things. It's like, if I see a woman do something, I'm like, I can do it because she did it. And it's almost like this relatability because as a woman, I relate to other women. So if it's like in the climbing world, one of my inspirations and who's become one of my mentors is Lynn Hill, who did um, the first free ascent of the nose now Capitan. And, and what I really loved about like when I grew up and like really idolized her, it was kind of like the Billie Jean King figure for women's tennis. It's like, here's a woman who really paved the way for the foundation of other women to have that opportunity to pursue this sport and to be able to look at this figure in the sport and say like, it's possible. Um, and, and then on the note of like, being a mother like you and Serena Williams and Allison Felix, like having children and then still like continuing your career and showing like, I can still be the dominant player that I am and like do both, I think is really important. Um, 
because it, it sets, like you said, like that precedent of like, it's not an either or equation. And, and then another thing in, in climbing or in like women's athletics is like, we develop these unique body types that are more muscular and are built for our sport. And so it's kind of like, you look different and like you have muscles and, and you, you, um, traditionally in society, I think are, are labeled as less feminine. And I I think that part of what I really want to push for is like that bridge between femininity and strength as one in the same. Um, because what I think is really beautiful and inspiring is like seeing a woman in her element, really like owning it on the court or like owning it on the climb and being like, that's badass. And like, I relate to that. And it's not like I'm choosing one thing or another. It's like, this is like the all encompassing female. I know that I'm not the best climber in the world. I know that like the young girls are going to like replace all of the stats that I've had. And I'm like excited about that because that means there's progress. That pursuit of not seeing the limitations due to being a female is really important. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I can totally understand that it's very complex topic that doesn't uh, doesn't get enough attention so i'm glad i'm really glad to hear that you you use your platform your voice to make that change it's 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 definitely a, a ongoing ongoing topic that will have will will need a lot more attention what has been your i would say most challenging moment for you in your life i'm sure there has been many because we i feel like we have transitions that you know at one point you're like, oh, that was, that was, that was really hard. Then you move on from it and you feel like, oh, it wasn't really really hard. But what's something that you can look back and say, you know what, that, that was, that kind of shaped me. I think of like so many like kind of turnkey moments that were like, I could objectively say losing my dad, I, I lost him quite suddenly. was a really transformative experience for me in my mind because I realized the, the brevity of life and like how things can really change in an instant. And I, I think I look back and like that objectively, I could say like, that was definitely one of, if not the most difficult time in my life, but I would say tying it to women in sports and in my experiences within climbing. Um, two years ago, I went through a really divisive time that, that was really challenging for me. I, I lost my grandmother and at the same time, I, there is really this culmination of cyberbullying that really went on and, and it was being, being, um, taking place by another professional climber who's a male in my sport. And he had really like targeted me in his harassment through the years of like online and offline behavior of just like making fun of me or, or targeting the fact that I didn't deserve something that I have. Um, and it goes back to these values of like, as a female athlete, like you shouldn't have to like explain why you have success if you've like worked hard to have that success. And anyways, I I guess like the long and the short of it was like, he made a post on social media that was like maliciously attacking me and, and kind of like putting me in this light of being overweight. And like, it, it was a really ugly post that he made and it was online. So it's like, anything you put online is public. And I was like, you know what? I've like contacted him to stop this. I've told him to not do it. Nothing's been heard. 
Um, and so I posted, I like reposted it on my page and I made this statement against cyberbullying. And I look back to it, like, how could that even be a divisive time? But I think to, to the point of like climbing, having traditionally been a male dominated sport, it was a pretty controversial thing within the upper echelon of like professional climbers taking a stance of like, Hey, you destroyed this guy's career by sharing it. And it was like, I just, I didn't even want to be a part of this. Like, I just don't want to be like bullied on the internet. And I don't want that to be the precedent of like, what's okay in our community and like what a professional climber can do. Um, And so I think that that was a transformative time for me because it was like, here is this community that I really love. And here are these, even like some of the athletes that I really looked up to who were almost like taking his side in the way of saying it was a joke, like you didn't need to share it. And he was like, there is nothing that was joking about this, especially considering I was blocked from even being a part of the joke. Um, but I, I really recognize like the value of loyalty and, and my connections within the friends that I really respect. And, and there were people who I'm still friends with who, who didn't really say anything, who wanted to remain neutral and didn't take a stance. But that relationship that I have with them was changed because it's like, to me, the number one thing that matters um, in a friendship is, is loyalty and ethics and value. As a professional athlete, I'm sure you experienced this. And it's like, people want to be a part of the pie when the pie is like doing super well. But when you go through controversy or when you hit like a bottom, then like the people who aren't loyal flee. And like, it's like, they don't want to be a part of that or they don't want to stand up for you. Yes, I agree with you there. Everybody wants to be around you when, when you are successful, when you can offer them something. I've noticed that in a lot of times in those moments, you're lonely. Yeah. You're really lonely. And for me, in my experience, um, my best friend is still my best friend since I'm seven years old. So I have the, I still have the connections that I made with people that are very strong and I'm not a great communicator. I may not talk with them for sometimes month at a time, but it's always like we pick it up from where, uh, where we left off. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting dynamic for me that the, the people, when I was, you know, at my highest top, they weren't around me, like around, me. you know, they were there supporting and stuff and they were very, very happy for me, but kind of a little bit more of a distance. I guess there are things that you can learn from other people and there are things that you just have to go through yourself, no matter, no matter how knowledgeable or how aware you are, you just, you just going to go go through them what is i will say your maybe like funniest moment that happened to you when you were climbing or in competition or maybe irony um one of my first big expeditions in 2011 i was in the dolomites in italy and there were just like this series of unfortunate events that happened through the progress of like climbing this big wall and and a big wall is basically if you take like Um, a single pitch, which is categorized by a rope length. So normally about 100 to 140 feet long climbs. Um, 
and then you stack them on top of each other. So that's how you get El Capitan and Yosemite or um, Chime Oeste was where we were in, in the Dolomites. And I climb with my climbing partner. We get to the top. It's like gone through kind of like this whole horrendous array of like weather and hail. Um, and we make it. And then in order to get down from a big wall, you need to find the rappel or you need to hike off the side of the mountain. And it was like 9 p.m. at night, hailing, super cold. We were super unprepared. It was like one of my big wall experiences. And uh, I, I'm like, well, the only thing I have is phone service. So I can call the person, Alexander Huber, who's a German big like alpinist who had done the first ascent of this climb we had just done the second ascent of and ask him how to get down. And I remember calling him and, and being like, so I'm on the top of Tretimo Oeste and he's like in his thick German accent, like, oh, Sasha, you have to sleep at the top tonight. And like, it's funny in retrospect because I was like, it was like the last thing on earth I wanted to hear. I was like, spent the whole night like chattered teeth and miserable. Um, but I think it's funny because I really learned from that. And like, I learned how much I respect like the people at the top of the field who are kind of like paving the way like Alex. Um, but also, yeah, the irony of like what happens when you're not prepared. And like, that's what happens. It's like super circumstances. A funny um, thing happened to me once. I was playing a tournament in Miami. And always during Miami tournament, there's been the ultra festival, the music festival going on. So the hotel is always just nuts party and the, the sound, the music, you can't sleep. And I had an early match at 11 a.m. So I was like, I can't sleep with this music. Um, I had to buy the earplugs and I did not hear my alarm. So my... <laughs> <laughs> so my coach um had to like call like hotel and I, I wasn't answering at first because they were waiting for me and then I was like hi you, you were waiting for me for you know for so long they're like well you're always late so we're giving you a little minute a little minute I was so stressed in that moment um I went to the match I remember I lost the match and I was like this damn ultra like what I will never sleep with with earplugs earplugs again but that was um yeah that was quite an experience I remember I lost to Flavia Pinetta that day I and can't I imagine stepping out onto a court full of like 25,000 people and being like oh, okay. missing my alarm clock I will say the most embarrassing moment that one of the most was when I forgot that I won the match and and I thought we were still playing and they're like game set match and I was like going to <laughs> I was still going to play for something. The recent thing that it actually happened a couple of times, doubles with Ash Barty and we won and I thought it was still like game on and I was going to to like the, the break, change break, and she's like, mate. And I was like, what do you want? She's like, we won. And I was like, oh we did? <laughs> Are you actively keeping track of the score? Or is it kind of like you're so in the zone that you don't even know that the scoreboard is happening? Um, I think most of the times, of course, you you, you are because um, I also keep scores like, okay, if it's, you know, like almost the end of the game and I have a lead, um, I will try to be, you know, more risky or – Whereas yeah. like you try to, to play maybe a little bit more focused, more safe. So so there's that 
tactical element to it. Do you have a preference over doubles versus playing singularly? Our main focus is always singles. I play doubles um, for fun. I love playing doubles. It's, it's, it's yeah. a different game. It's a different vibe. Singles is obviously is more serious. It's always a priority uh, for me, um, I think, for, for a majority of players. After a Grand Slam, when you win a Grand Slam, the exhaustion comes not the day, but like maybe two days after. And you're like, you just, for me, I was just like laying down. I couldn't move. It's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm fine. I'm exhausted, like absolutely drained. Yeah, I get that when I get home from trips. I remember when I was in university, I went to school at uh, Columbia in, in New York City. And I would take the train home to DC where my mom lived. And like when I would get home, I would just spend like the entire weekend like sleeping because I was like so tired from school and competitions. Oh, you mentioned about Columbia University. Have you made the choice between your education or between your climbing or were you trying to balance it out? Yeah, it was hard. I was a full-time athlete and, and my career was what was paying for my career as a full-time student. Um, and so I was trying to balance through school. I was traveling a lot, like Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays was when I had all of my classes. And then I would go to the airport and fly like Thursday night to Asia or Europe or somewhere for like an event or a competition or for a climb outside or like a photo shoot or something. And then I'd get home Monday night from like wherever jet lag place I was and then be back in class. So I think that I learned to, you know, I had to sacrifice on like social life and prioritize what was important at that moment. Um, and then there were moments like I had the, I remember I had the Pan American Championships in Venezuela and it was the same time as my um, science of psychology introductory class and like my first semester of college. And I saw the syllabus like in September and I knew of this competition in November. And I was like, I went to the teacher and I said, hey, I have this Pan American Championships in Venezuela. It coincides with this exam in November. Um, forecasting ahead, I know it'll be a conflict. Can I take my exam early? What can I do? And she told me, I don't care if you miss your alarm or you're meeting the president, I don't make exceptions. And so I was like, well, what do I do? And she was like, you can be there or you can take zero. And so I remember that was like kind of like one of the first experiences because it was my first year of college. And after kind of like, I did experience pushback from some of my friends in climbing who were like, you just won the world championships. You're like out of high in your career. Why are you going to school? And it was like, it's not a question of like, if I'm going to go to school, I want to go to school. Um, but this was a big wake up call of like, oh, <laughs> there's going to be sacrifices. And so what I did in that situation was like, there were four exams through the semester and I took a zero. And then I, I did like my best I could on the other three classes. So I was like kind of working against like a 25% deduction in my average, which sucked. But I remember it being kind of ironic because it was like a psychology class. And I was like, there's no psychology here. Like we should be promoting, like following your dreams and like going after something that you're passionate about. But like, can't we make an exception? So it wasn't easy. I'm so thankful that I went to school because I'm like, it's done. I feel 
more like advanced in, in my own life experience. And, and now, I mean, I love to learn new things, but yeah, it was, it was a balance. What is your next goal? So I have my production company, which I'd really love to grow female focused adventures. I think my next immediate goal is just walking again in the future. And then I, I'd really like to get back to the point it, physically in my career that I, I was training for and, and be a little bit more foundationally grounded based on ideally what I learned this year and, and like these steps of stillness and, and being, um, creating the team around me that I feel is really supportive, like from my coach and working with a psychologist, um, and nutritionist, I think that just like having these ducks in a row, so to speak, is almost like that, that foundational work that I hadn't put the energy into before. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm curious to see what happens. It's definitely going to be exciting for, for me now, knowing you a lot, a lot more to follow your, follow your journey and, uh, keep being inspired by, by your achievements and the things that, um, that you're going to do. And, um, it's been such an really inspiring and conversation and, and it showed me how many similarities, you know, two people can have from different fields, different cultures, um, um, different competition, but, but bringing, uh, bring that kind of vision and showing it to other people of, you know, just humanity and, uh, you've been so open. So I really appreciate it. But before we finish, I would like to ask you some very easy, very short questions, but they will just help me to get to know you even better. So okay. are you ready for them? Yeah, let's hear them. Okay. What is your favorite word? I would say fierce. I love the word fierce. Yeah. What is your least favorite word? Um, fragile. Besides your profession, what is one profession you would like to do? It'd be awesome to try being a professional tennis player, but I do not stand a chance, so respect. Um, I also always wanted to be a TV anchor. What is one profession that you would never do? Oh, so many. Uh, I couldn't be a soccer player. Um, uh, like, I'm really bad at, at technology, so maybe like doing computer work, I, I wouldn't be that very good at what is something that you admire about people or you find attractive in people? Yeah, I think that um, I really admire loyalty. It's a really important value. Yeah, and what is one thing that really turns you off from people? Um, ignorance turns me off. Okay, so the last question is, um, if God would exist and, and the heaven would exist and you arrive at pearly gates, what would you want God to tell you? I'd probably want him to say, thank you, you've done your best, and that's been enough. That's all for my, um, for my questions. Awesome, I like him, that was a good curveball there. Yeah, I'd like, I I like to finish a little bit on a lighter note. We, we touched on so many kind of deep and heavy subjects that is nice to, to always finish a little with a little bit of a smile. Sasha, thank you so much for your time. I'm very grateful for this opportunity to get to know you. I hope we can meet 
in person one day. Yeah, totally. Well, it's so great to chat with you and I'm excited to get to know you more. For me too. I hope to see you soon and good luck with your recovery um, and the rest of the stuff I'll be watching. Yeah, thank you. You too. See you later. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Think About It. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. This will help us to know what maybe other topics you guys want to hear or how you like the show so we can improve. This will be really, really appreciated. I'll be talking more about this podcast over on my Instagram. So please come and join the conversation with me there. Thank you.